0: 20 minutes a day. 365 days a year. This is the Pack A Day Podcast.
1: What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Pack a Day Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Herman. You can follow me on Twitter at Andy Herman NFL. And joining me once again, it's been far too long, is my good friend Ben Fennel. You can follow him on Twitter at Ben Fennel underscore NFL. Ben, we are almost to the draft. I don't even care about that. It's great to be talking football with you again. Welcome back.
2: Well, thanks for having me back on. It has been far too long. It's crazy. We're sitting here in the, the middle of April, two weeks away from the draft. We're already through free agency and all that craziness and the trades. I like to think the, uh, the roster dust has settled a little bit, but we're about to add some new talent into this uh, team. So uh, looking ahead to the draft and what this team's going to look like is uh, kind of a never ending process. So mid April here, let's uh, let's dive in
1: what, what's your favorite aspect of it? Is it breaking down the tape ahead of time and seeing all these guys? Is it seeing where they sort of slot and go on draft day and how it kind of fit your evaluations? Or is it after the fact to see like a, how they fit in with their teams and kind of breaking down like, all right, this guy fits perfect with this team and this scheme, or is it even down the road three years to say like, all right, how do they actually turn out? What's your favorite part of that process?
2: In a kind of a cop-out answer, it's a little bit of everything, and each day and kind of part of the year takes on different personalities, whether it's discovering who these guys are, as people off the field, which is exciting, and everyone's so unique, and to see these young you know, up-and-coming uh, adults and young professionals kind of about to break into the professional sector is just exciting, then their fits, then reflecting back on your notes two, three years down the road and how that's panned out. And there's always more kids coming. So as much as you're looking at 2022, it's very easy to kind of get a side eye at some 2023 and the next year and the next year, it's just a never ending process. Um, it's partially work, partially hobbyists, you know, partially fandom. And I feel like each day and part of the year kind of takes on different narratives of my interests. So, um, you know, while the tape may dominate one day, The research in the bio may, you know, pique my interest the next day and then so on and so forth. So uh, without, you know, choosing one there for you, you know me, I really just love this whole process through and through.
1: No, I hear you and I feel you and I can speak to all of that. And Andy,
2: also like the privilege I have, you know, just working for the Eagles and CBS and NFL films. I can research very particular things on the drop of a hat. Like right now, I'm just watching Cincy's offense, third and fourth and short in the run game to see what Alec Pierce is doing. It's just a random thought I had by somebody's tweet. So being able to kind of sort through some things as well, whether it's play action plays or 20 plus yard targets to George Pickens or first and 10, 12 personnel plays, being able to streamline your research and your thoughts uh, here at NFL films also kind of help the interest and kind of getting all this work done.
1: Yeah, you are actually working in 2022 with all of those things at your disposal. (laughs) For us that don't have access to this, I'm sure you're probably not aware of this, but they basically broke uh, the... Um, the game film on uh, an NFL game pass. Like they basically made it completely unusable. They did a completely new interface and it's impossible to use. So you have to go and find like back channels to get game film, whether it be college or NFL, (laughs) and then you're just trying to piece things. It's, it's a nightmare. So uh, I envy you to say the least uh, with all of the tools that you have at your disposal, but um, I can imagine that that makes the process a lot more fun when you're not trying to base, you know, I might as well have a projector and like an old film reel to put in because that would probably be easier at this point. But one of the things I did want to touch base on is you're doing some great work right now for the 33rd team and you're kind of obviously going through your draft notes. Um, it's honestly been as per usual, one of my favorite things to read. I know this is your first time doing it with them, but um, talk a little bit about what you've been doing with them and, and some of the, the breakdowns that you've been doing there.
2: Well, I'm just uh, continuing this joint kind of uh, project with Paul Domovich, who uh, I've worked with over at the Philadelphia Inquirer for a number of years doing these draft preview series. I took over from Mike Mayock once he took the Raiders GM job. We'll see if he then steals a job back from me. And that whole circle uh, continues there. But uh, Paul Domowich is just one of the better sports writers I've ever come across. So being able to for him to kind of put my thoughts onto the paper and kind of unfold a different draft personalities and rankings and tiers. um, It's just a fun project. But, you know, to sit here in April and just only give three Little breakdowns of players per position just kills me sometimes. I want to do 10, 20, deeper and deeper and deeper and day three guys and sleeper guys. So he always has to kind of pull me in a little bit and streamline and focus uh, the draft content because it's an important reminder. Not all football fans follow the draft year round. There are some that just dive in around the combine time. There are some that just dive in late April that want to know who are the prospects now? So as much as I'm desensitized to the top guys, there's people out there that aren't. So uh, kind of towing that line with wanting to go deep, 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 and then still educating people on who the the big names are is kind of the cat and mouse of it all. But working with Paul Domowich has been a great experience. uh, And I hope to keep it going.
1: No, it's really fun. I I understand your sentiment because as I'm reading them uh, and I read like year three, I'm like, now I want the rest of the wide receiver class. Like I need exactly. every wide receiver broke down. <laughs> so how, how far are we away from a, a Ben Fennel NFL draft guide? Because I think that's what everyone really needs.
2: We are as far as humanly possible. I don't forever foresee that ever coming down the pipe. I try to avoid the whole one man scouting department moniker because that is a serious, serious uphill climb. Yep. Um, You know, what Dane does and some of these one man scouting departments is it's nuts. It's absolutely insane. It's so much pressure. It's so much time. It's so much commitment. I have too much else going on in my life. My golf game is struggling right now. You know, it's things things just, uh, you know, there's not enough hours in the day to knock all that out. So as far as studying these players, that's really just the hobbyist in me. Yeah, And I can obviously talk on my Journey to the Draft podcast with the Eagles about draft draft prospects all year long and tweet about guys. And then I work with Daniel Jeremiah here at NFL Network, and it's great to be educated on the players to talk with him and do a lot of the video work. But as far as scouting and writing up evaluations, it's really just what I feel like doing or not doing. So some guys, I have paragraphs and paragraphs. Some guys have a couple bullet points. And I like the flexibility of kind of picking and choosing that. Um, if I ever do, you know, scout for a team or a media entity, maybe that will change. Um, but as far as the Ben Fennel draft guide, uh, I don't know if that's coming, Andy.
1: No, I totally understand and Not to go too far down a rabbit hole. Cause I'm sure most people don't care about this, but it's something that I struggle with uh, myself is I've, I had to basically choose, all right, am I going to be a Packers expert or if I'm going to be a draft expert? Because if I try to do both, I'm not going to do either of them well. Right. So I always get to end of February, and I, you know, just finished up like recapping everything that's happened for the Packers season uh, and things like that. And I get to March first, and then usually I need like a couple weeks to refresh at end of February. And I get to March first, I'm like, all right, let's dive into the draft. And then I look, and it's March first, and I'm like, I have all of March and all of April for a 400 person draft class. Where the hell do you begin? And it's just like, you know, obviously I, if I do anything, I want to go all in on it. So it's really difficult for me to get to that point where I've just finished up Packer season. And now we're starting to get into free agency, by the way, finishing up in, like in March and everything. And now breaking down who the Green Bay Packers could sign. And it's just gotten to the point where, I would love to spend 365 days a year covering the draft. And then I get to March 1st and realize I've got two months to try to do it. And it's just like, all right, I'm going to have to lean on a lot of other people. And yeah, I'm going to go when I do a deep dive on one of the YouTube videos or something, I'm going to do everything I can to watch that player all 22 and deep dive as much as I can. But I got to limit it to, you know, maybe 30 guys, whereas, you know, a lot of other people are trying to do three, 400. I'm just like, man, I don't envy the one person scouting. And I, I like, I would love to do it year round, but just not feasible. So I, I feel that a million percent.
2: Yeah. And the whole evaluation process is multi-tiered, multi-layered. And as much as I can watch every step this guy has ever taken on the football field, you have to understand the limitations of the tape too. Yep. That if all you're watching is the tape, I have news for you. Your evaluation's incomplete. You have to know the person you're getting, the employee, the teammate, the coworker, the member of society. You know, you have to see these guys, talk to them on campus, bring them in your building, interview them. So you can be thorough watching the film. I got news for you. Your evaluation's incomplete at the end of the day. So it's just such an uphill climb if you don't have all the information, all the resources. So the things, the beast, what Dane does is incredible. But these teams have full staffs of people working year round, round the clock on this process for a one-man show to step in and say the draft let's go i mean you're swimming uphill
1: yeah it's it's a near impossibility and um, i I did a big article two years ago for packer report of all the things that nfl teams know that we uh, even like any of us that are trying to break it down just don't know or don't have access to or don't have time for when they have full scouting staffs doing this year round. Um, But I like what you just said, of just watching the tape, right? You watch every single snap of player for four years in college, whatever. Even if you did all that with all 22 and knew what you were looking at, um, it would be akin, if that's all you did, it would be akin to, you know, basically having a, a job interview or like just hiring somebody based off of their resume and never interviewing them. Like you got their resume, you said, Oh, they look great on paper. I want that guy. I don't even need to interview. Um, I'm just gonna bring them in, right? So, like without getting to know them, without interviewing them, without all of that, like what, what are we even doing here? So it's a fun aspect of it. I think everyone enjoys it, but like you said, you have to understand the limitations of it. And that well.
2: stuff goes both ways. Like Absolutely. you know, the the choir boys look good in their locker room, but maybe they can't play. And the other, you know, conversation, Hey, every ship needs a few rats too. So even though he may have some character concerns or small field stuff or rub some people the wrong way, Hey, there's some spots for those guys too. So it's really fun kind of diving into the people aspect of who you're filling out your organization with.
1: Always. Now I want to focus on the draft, um, and, you know, most of the time here, but we have had a very interesting Packers off season Devontae Adams gone. We brought in some players like a uh, Sammy Watkins just recently. Um, Obviously a Jeron Reed, you know, those type of players. Kept Devandre, they kept Devondre, they kept Razul. Just wanted to get your quick, you know, thousand-foot view of, of how, you know, how you think Green Bay's done this offseason so far.
2: Uh, it's been an interesting offseason. I like the Jaron Reed addition. I think he's got a little bit more juice than a Dean Lauer or Tyler Lancaster to play next to Kenny Clark there. And then Sammy Watkins. Crazy. This guy's only 28 years old. He has played in, you know, a couple Super Bowls with the Chiefs. He's been in the playoffs for multiple years with different teams. Uh, can line up pretty much everywhere, knows how to beat press coverage. This guy's a professional wide receiver. There's no learning curve to the offense, the route tree, what he is asked to do. And with Reed and Watkins, I just like that both these guys have played in high-level games. These are vets you want to add to your locker room that are experienced in high-leverage playoffs, Super Bowl situations, Um, you know – Sad to see, you know, those Dariuses go and Devonte Adams and Kevin Kings and some mainstays, but you know, I'm glad they're able to bring back Preston Smith and get Rasul Douglas back in the building and some of those uh, cornerstones that were major contributors last year.
1: No, for sure. And yeah, it's, it, it's tough losing to Devontae, you know, when you, I'm sure he's probably been somebody you've enjoyed watching on film quite a bit as well, but just watching him from a practice standpoint, how he impacts the game, how he you know, just watching him on film and how he's developed from year one and two to, to what he is now. You know, you see a player like that and you want to see them ideally retire with your team. But we all know this is a crazy business. But, um, you know. And what a,
2: what a case study lesson to learn from as far as the draft Knicks, you know, maybe being too early to reevaluate them as professionals. Like what a story, what a what a great example to learn from of that not everyone develops the same way. The Devontae Adams story we could talk about for hours and hours.
1: That wide receiver draft is fun we could spend probably like three episodes just covering the wide receivers from that draft and their initial uh, grades and how they ended up developing but very fun group and of course Watkins and Adams both uh, within that so I want to talk about obviously this draft, and before we even get into wide receivers which we know is a potential need. Where do you view the overall strength of this draft and how would you like to see Brian Gutekunst with five top 100 picks, two firsts, two seconds and a third, sort of navigate or attack this draft, maybe by specific positions or specific areas of the draft that you think are going to be strongest?
2: Yeah, I think this is a really good draft class and maybe doesn't have the headliner position group at quarterback like we've come to expect, or maybe not the generational talents off the hoof or, you know, trying to forecast that. I see a lot of immediate starters, impact players, good depth, reliable starters. I think through the middle of the draft, I think this is a really interesting draft class. I think we know the edge rushing depth, the receiving depth. I think it's good defensive backs, all sorts of shapes, sizes, abilities, inside, outside, nickels, you know, safeties, guys that can come down and play linebacker, all sorts of tight ends, too. Here's a really exciting tight end class. And while you don't have that Kyle Pitts headliner to get you excited, and there maybe isn't a whole lot of Explosive weapons. There's some really good three down players that are going to block their butts off, catch a lot of passes on third down, be red zone nightmares. Uh, the tackle group is really good as well. I think it's a really good draft, you know, kind of up and down, particularly through the middle there, just without that sexy quarterback position to kind of do the selling.
1: It's interesting because I I sort of felt the same way just as I'm kind of going through, you know, some of these prospects, It, it almost feels to me that like, if I was picking in the top five of this draft, not that I'm not going to get a good player, but I may be a little bit disappointed in what I would normally see in a common year. But if I had five picks from pick, I don't know, say 22 to 100, you know, right in that range, like Green Bay has, I'd feel pretty darn excited that I was going to be able to find four to five really good players that could fit in and potentially play right away.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I think that day two of the draft this year is so exciting. Rounds two, round three, you want to stockpile those picks, you know, from 30 to 100. I see a lot of good players on day two.
1: All right, let's jump into wide receiver because I know this is a, a position that a lot of people want to talk about for Green Bay and have talked about ad nauseum, but I really like how you break down wide receivers because you break them down, I think, into three different categories. You're you know, bigger, more physical wide receivers. You've got your slot gadget types, and then you've kind of got your overall you know, wide receivers. Uh, how do you break those down, and, and what are some of the wide receivers that you're really keeping an eye on in this draft?
0: We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all.
2: Yeah, and I guess just to uh, finish off the Gutekunst and Packers need point and what am I yeah. kind of expecting from the draft, edge rusher, always go back to the edge well, whether round two, round three, first round, get younger, get cheaper, more explosive. How do you do that? The draft. The wide tight end. We need our Mercedes Lewis of the future. It's a boring spot, critical position in a Matt LaFleur's scheme. Yep. There is nobody on the roster that represents that. And when he went down two years ago, what did they do in that game? Put in Ricky Wagner. They went 6-0 line. That's how they view that position there. And I got news for you. It's not Deguara. That's not Tunyon. There's yeah. nobody on the roster that represents that. Add more right wide receiver weapons. We're going to talk about that in a second. And tackle depth, I think, is really interesting. Who's our right tackle right now? Is it Elton Jenkins? Is it somebody in the draft here protecting for Bakhtiari, adding depth, getting younger? Those four spots are kind of my attention right now with a little side note at that nickel uh, position as well, too. But the receiver class. Yeah, like I think it's it's so deep. There's immediate starters, impact players, explosive playmakers, day two players. that I think are going to contribute right away. Interesting day three role players. I just think there's some serious speed and separation skills at the top here, Andy. I don't know if the Packers are going to be able to get in these guys, but the Jameson Williams. The Garrett Wilsons, Olave, Dotson, those guys are explosive and know how to separate. Now, the interesting thing is, since 2000, the Packers have never drafted a receiver under 188 pounds. Right. All four of those are under 188 pounds. Does that mean they're off the board there? Kind of an interesting uh, uh, draft history and kind of measurable threshold that they've always had there in Green Bay. Not necessarily a height thing but certainly a weight thing. And we're thinking back to the Cobs and Amari Rogers. Those guys weighed over 200 pounds. They, you know, they kind of fit that bill a little bit more.
1: Yeah, no, it's really interesting. And that's, I've, I've struggled with the, the wide receiver class for green Bay in, in some regards, because, you know, in, in general, they like taking guys that fit their athletic profile, which again, is usually going to be that over 200 pounds. They like the agility. They like the quickness. They like those Uber athletes, especially under Brian Gutekunst. They usually like people who are younger in age as well. You know, usually around 2021, 20, maybe early 22. And then, um, you know, production and productivity is something that they've usually valued at wide receiver as well. And I just start going through wide receiver by wide receiver by wide receiver. And I can almost pick one thing from each of them that just says, all right, this one doesn't fit the size, or this one's just a slot guy. And they've already got Cobb and Amari and Alan Lazard's played 40% of his snaps in the slot. Maybe they don't need that guy. Maybe it's the productivity, maybe like all of it. I just struggle to look at that one guy and be like, all right, that could be. I think maybe a Drake London could be that guy if he's there. They move up. I think um, like an Alec Pierce later in the draft could be that guy. I think George Pickens is close to being that guy. I think a Christian Watson, like those are sort of the guys that. And again, even them, like Pickens had the ACL. Um, Watson, from a productivity standpoint, doesn't always hit that. So like, there's just something with almost all of them and it's struggle. Like, I'm interested to see like what thing they maybe ignore that they normally wouldn't because I know they're probably going to take one, if not two, in the first two rounds.
2: Yeah, and I think it's interesting also just kind of dissecting what Matt LaFleur wants out of that receiver position. Why do they have to have size? I think his leaning on the run game and um, expecting his receivers to block, not only as traditional run blockers, but blocking for each other on you know uh, perimeter screens, receiver screens, things like that. I think having two-way players, tough players, physical players, is really how LaFleur wants to play. Now, I know people may be thinking, well, Devontae Adams wasn't out there blocking his butt off, and MVS really wasn't this imposing blocker either. Now, I think they have very special skill sets. Devontae, one of the best receivers in the league, separator, weapon at every level, and MVS had a very designed skill set to be the speed threat. So I think unless you have a specialized skill set, you better be well-rounded, which Devontae at 215 pounds and 6'2 and tough. He was willing to, you know, kind of lose slowly, as we like to say for tight ends and receivers blocking, just lose slowly and typically you'll get your job done. Um, So it's kind of interesting just to see what they want at the receiver room and making sure you have diverse skill sets as well that complement what you have in that room. So as much as I look at their draft trends, I'm not willing to say that since they've been going one direction that they ebb and flow the other direction to keep adding diversity and versatility to the room.
1: And that's one of the things that I've uh, said and and mentioned as well is that you know, it seems like maybe they do have the, like, again, Devante, like you said, he was not a good blocker, right? I thought he was a little bit better last year, but overall that was not exactly his forte. Well, he's Devonte freaking at him. So you don't really care that much that he's maybe not a blocker. So if you get one of those guys that you feel really good about that can be, you know, whether it's a, a deep threat or a specialized wide receiver, that's going to consistently get separation and get open. All right. You can have that because now, especially with bringing Sammy Watkins in, right. Now you can theoretically have a situation where whether it's a Jamison Williams or a Chris Olave or whoever that is on the outside that maybe isn't an ideal blocker. Well, if you've got Alan Lazard in the slot and Sammy Watkins on the other side, you know, with Mercedes Lewis at tight end, AJ Dillon at running back guess what? Everyone on that front or every one of those playmakers is a blocker besides that one guy. And that allows you to sort of cover that a little bit more because you have everyone else that can do it. So I think, again, with the specialization of skills that you mentioned, I think that does open them up if they want to go in that direction and find somebody that maybe isn't that one a blocker. That's okay because of how they built the rest of the team.
2: And there's also this trend of obviously RPOs on Saturday bleeding into Sunday. Packers are very big RPO team. It's actually very frustrating to watch in college. Because what the RPO does to receivers is takes them out of traditional run blocking. You're running routes and letting the quarterback read the leverage or the movement post-snap of somebody. So you're not always seeing them in traditional roles. However, they are threatening as route runners. Right. So them running a route occupies the defender in which they would be asked to block. So using them in that capacity is also a way to be effective in the run game and that's how Alabama did it with little Devonte Smith, you know, for a number of years as well. They weren't asking 175 pounds to go dig out safeties all the time. He was running the glance routes off of the inside zone to Najee Harris. And it was pick your poison for that will linebacker, whoever that leverage defender was. So uh, I think it's not necessarily an end all be all if you're a little undersized or a unimposing blocker or even an Alec Pierce, who I think is a good, strong blocker. I think he's going to have trouble separating at the next level. However, Matt LaFleur does a great job in getting these guys open for themselves and you know, getting them on crossing routes and free releases and working out of bunches. So I think the schematic use for a lot of these receivers can kind of make up for their deficiencies.
1: No, I think so too. And I think Chris Olave had a lot of that on tape as well, where he would take off downfield and the corner would just have to run with him. And again, if you're 30 yards downfield and the corner's following you in trail technique, doesn't really matter if you're blocking that much. So no, you're definitely seeing more and more of that. So knowing, you know, what we know and certainly what you know, breaking down all these, these prospects and what Green Bay needs at wide receiver, what fits or maybe what would you like to see what, what you know, what players would you like to see Green Bay attack in this draft based on what they need at wide receiver still? Well, my three kind of
2: peers are – our tiers are a speed demon, so kind of replacing that MVS role. And I think he could be smaller, someone that can take off a little bit faster and maybe won't have the long strides at the length, but I think somebody with better, pure football speed. You know, MVS was a freak tester, but his long legs and kind of long frame – didn't always help him. So a straight vertical threat shot play guy, and he needs to have a threatening presence. So whether it's the Calvin Austin's of the world, you know, the little track guys out of Memphis or day three guys like Vellis Jones, Jalen Naylor, Charleston Rambo, Pimpleton, you know, guys like that that can just run low four, four, high four, three types of players. I would love to see that added into the offense. It's always been important with the floor, even going back to, you know, the Rams, or even going back to the Falcons, always had Taylor Gabriel in there. I always had that pure speedster downtown uh, threat. I would love the two way guys. Like we talked about the blockers, the effort guys, the well-rounded football players. Typically you need to be 200 pounds, 215, that Alan Lazard type, you know, can that be Drake London, Christian Watson, you know, Alec Pierce, Traylon Burks. On day three, there's a lot of guys of good size as well, whether it's Eric Ezekama out of Texas Tech, Isaiah Weston out of Northern Iowa is 220 pounds, Kevin Austin out of Notre Dame. I think his pass is kind of early doghouse with Brian Kelly and some maturity issues. Had a great season at Notre Dame, tested out of this world. Some really interesting guys of good size and good tenacity as two-way players. And then just the pure separators, the yak weapons, the guys you just want to get the ball in their hands and maybe they don't have the traditional X or Z profile, get me Wondell Robinson or Khalil Shakur, you know, those types of guys, guys that are just three level weapons for the offense, maybe look like running backs out there, but you want to put the ball in their hands. And I think as Aaron Rodgers is committing more to being that pocket passing distributor, keep adding young, exciting, explosive weapons around him. I'm okay with moving on from the, late 20 year old guys, early thirties, even if it is Devante Adams, but keep going back to the well in the draft, getting younger, cheaper, more explosive edge rusher receiver, keep spinning that well, almost every year you have to keep going back to the well, get younger, cheaper, more explosive.
1: No, I totally agree. And I think, if, you know, wide receivers become even more interesting this season, especially in early in the draft, because, you know, maybe at one point, you know, it, it was, it was, it was close to the tier of like a premium player, but like you, you didn't see wide receivers getting $30 million per year deals, but now you're seeing Adams and Tyree kill and like these, that Stefan Diggs and these guys getting massive, massive deals. Well now getting a wide receiver in the first round that you control for five years that again, like Jamar chase and Justin Jefferson, and some of these guys who've come out and immediately played at an amazingly high level. Well, imagine again, now getting a player like that, that would be a 30 million per year player, basically that you're getting for pennies on the dollar that makes their value in the first round, in my opinion, skyrocket and go through the roof because of how expensive wide receivers have come on the open market.
2: Yeah, absolutely.
1: And it's all balanced. It's
2: all complimentary. You don't want Rogers surrounded by all rookies and second year players on this learning curve, but adding the free agents and some of the veteran presence that have played in this league, have been in high leverage games, I mean, Rogers is already the old guy on the block there. He already has the young center in front of him. A lot of young people around him. Make sure you add a couple weapons <clears throat> and vets he can trust, whether it's the Cobb or the Watkins and some guys like that, and then keep adding the young guys around him. So roster balance is obviously very important. You can't just sway or ebb and flow in one complete direction.
1: Totally agree, and I think Green Bay really set themselves up well where they now have a Watkins and a Lazard and a Cobb. There, as they're veterans at wide receiver, you've got Tunyon and Mercedes Lewis and Aaron Jones and AJ Dillon, like the guys that he's going to feel very comfortable with, right? He's still got a David Bakhtiari at left tackle, assuming everything goes well there. Guys that he feels a level of comfort with. Now you've hopefully got Amari Rogers taking a step. Who's a younger guy, probably a couple of draft picks in this draft at wide receiver, maybe a draft pick at tight end. And you start flexing some of those guys in and using them again, as specialists, as we started of talked about before, whether that's a deep you know, threat that you get in the fourth, fifth round, we've seen that success. We've seen Darnell Mooney, fifth round pick. We see MVS fifth round pick, just because it's not a first round guy doesn't necessarily mean that they can't come in and be that guy that takes the top off of the defense a little bit and adding in just an overall wide receiver. And there's a few that I want to specifically ask you about, because I know they're Packer fan favorites on Twitter. Um, Just really quickly, Christian Watson, um, George Pickens, and then Alec Pierce seem to be three that I know a lot of Packer fans are honing in on. Your thoughts on maybe those three players, and I'll let you take that in any direction that you want.
2: Oh, Pickens, Watson, Alec Pierce. All right. So they're all obviously <clears throat> very exciting testers. They all jumped out the gym. They're all four three or four four types of players. Plenty of speed, plenty of size, plenty of length. George Pickens his, his is just so inconsistent with his effort, his intensity, whether it's blocking and route running. But when he shows up, man, the flashes are so exciting. He's very heavy-handed, knows how to beat press coverage, has a vertical gear, absolute dog at the catch point strong hands, comes back to the football, wants to fight you with the ball, very competitive, but he turns it on and off. And it can also get him in trouble, as we've seen him get into a fight in the Georgia Tech game, got ejected, has uh, scored a water bottle on the opposing quarterback as well. So a little bit of some maturity issues as well, but he's a very exciting receiver, a tough receiver, 6'3", nearly 200 pounds, and running in the four fours Reminds me a lot of kind of like the way Devontae Parker came out of Louisville, Another guy that kind of wins at the catch point, just being a tough guy, but can beat press coverage with good size. His best football might be ahead of him. I'm hoping he matures more and becomes a more well-rounded down-to-down football player. Christian Watson obviously has been on a meteoric rise up board since his testing in senior bowl. I don't love his route running though. I think he's going to have some issues separating at the next level, some issues beating press coverage. I want to know if people view him as an X, as a Z, as a slot, as more of a matchup guy? Is he just an over-the-top presence? Or is he this gadget player, which at North Dakota State they use very creatively on jet sweeps and even just some backfield handoffs and bubble screens? I don't think he's that yak threat at the next level. He's more of a kind of a vertical over-the-top guy uh, with some really good length. Very similar to the MBS, to be honest with you, uh, with maybe a little bit more tenacity to block. I don't love Watson going in the first round. I know I see him trending that way. I see him a little bit more as a day-two player. And same thing Alec Pierce. I have some issues with him being press coverage and separating, but he's just so strong. He is so fast. He's so big, has such strong hands. The play strength of these three I think is really what kind of stands out in my opinion.
1: Unfortunately, we had to stop things there as we had a technical difficulty and the power in my house completely went out. So we were unable to completely finish our conversation, but we got through the majority of the topics that we wanted to get through, including the Packers off season, some of the wide receivers in this draft, who could be a fit and his overall feel for where Green Bay can attack this draft class. So a huge thank you to Ben Fennel for joining. Always appreciate it. Always great talking to Ben. You can follow Ben on Twitter at Ben Fennel underscore NFL. You can follow me at Andy Herman NFL. You can follow the podcast at Packaday Podcast. Make sure to check out Ben's work. You can find it all over Twitter, uh, but you can also find it over on the 33rd team. He's doing draft breakdowns position by position, and they are really, really great. Not just saying that, definitely make sure to check those out, but that is going to do it for us today. Thank you again for joining. Always appreciate it. Make sure to subscribe if you haven't already, but until next time, and as always, Go Pack Go!